Welcome back to Throne Hands. We are uh, previewing Fight Night, Russell versus Shabazian. Daniel, how art thou? I'm good, Jacob. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So we're just going to kick this right off. First fight on the main card, Holland versus Giles. What, what are your thoughts on Kevin Holland? I like Kevin Holland a lot. Uh, I wasn't overly familiar with him in the past until I saw his fight against Anthony Hernandez uh, at, uh, Overeem versus, at the Overeem versus Harris card. And he was obviously really impressive with that. He knocked Hernandez out in 39 uh, seconds, uh, knees and punches there. Uh, just a really, really impressive performance out of Kevin Holland. He's a guy that he's bounced between weight classes, or he's been between weight classes, not uh, mo- not in the UFC, but he's talked about moving between welterweight and middleweight in the UFC. He's done it before he got there. Uh, kickboxing background, but he's also got a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, he's got a kung fu background as well. I like what he brings to the table. I like him as a fighter a lot. Yeah, I like him a lot too. He's young. He has a lot of potential. He's a kung fu fighter, like you said. He has a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. He likes to use his length a lot to set up a lot of things with knockouts, and he can take you down. He's pretty strong. He has aggressive and powerful striking, yet refined, and I think that's what's really dangerous about him. And he does blaze a trail because he, he'll just knock you out if you get in his way. And with Trevin Giles, yeah. And Trevin Giles, I mean, this guy's pretty good too. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu purple belt, trained MMA himself. And he's very active on the ground. And he works with guys when guys are on his back. So you can't really, he's a pest. He, he's always moving on the ground. He's a problem when he's a problem on the ground very much. Diverse finishing, and he's super aggressive. What do you have on Trevin Giles? I don't have much more to add to that. Honestly, he rode an 11-fight win streak to come into the UFC, won his first 11 career fights, and then ran into the buzzsaw that is Zach Cummings, honestly. And, I mean, you can't blame anybody for for having trouble when it goes to the ground against Zach Cummings. Uh, Ended up with a guillotine choke loss. And then also uh, back-to-back guillotine choke losses uh, against uh, Gerald Mearshart after that. Uh, and then he got back in the win column uh, back in February. He beat James Krause in a split decision. These are two guys that they're both 27 years old. They're both still pretty early in their careers, and they both know exactly what they want to do in the octagon. And I think they're both guys that, that have some potential moving forward. I like what, uh, what Giles brings as well as Holland. I think, uh, I think this is going to be a really good fight. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I am too. And I think uh, what you said, they, they, both, they both like to do what they want to do. And keys for these guys, if the person who does what they want to do is going to win this fight. If Kevin Holland's aggressive, pushes forward, and uses his reach, he's going to win this fight. But if Trevor Giles gets to the ground, I think that advantage is massive for him on the ground. What are your keys? I think Trevor Giles has to get this fight to the ground. Kevin Holland is going to come into this as a six foot three middleweight with a seven-inch reach advantage. Interestingly enough, Giles actually has the advantage with leg reach. Uh, which, again, uh, Holland has a, a little bit of a kickboxing background. So 
that may negate that a little bit. But you take a guy like Holland, who's such a high-level striker with a second-degree black belt in Kung Fu, and bring him in with a seven-inch reach advantage, that's huge for him. That's definitely going to be where he wants to keep this. And for Giles, I think his best bet is getting this fight to the ground. He's going to have to get inside Kevin Holland somehow for a takedown. Uh, with such a reach disadvantage I think this is going to be a really interesting mix of styles and I think uh, we're gonna I think we're gonna see an explosive end to this fight no matter what happens just based on how proficient these guys are in what they do yeah so on predictions give me Kevin Holland I think his aggression will just be too much for Giles what do you think I take Kevin Holland I think he gets an early knockout in this one yeah and don't be surprised if Kevin Holland comes up in the next couple years He's young, and he's good. All right. Another uh, about a lightweight matchup here, Lando Venata versus Bobby Green. Uh, what are your thoughts on Lando Venata? Lando Venata. Lando Groovy Venata, as he goes by. Uh, interesting lightweight, honestly. Uh, a diverse finishing background, four knockout wins, five by submission out of his 11 career wins. And since he's come to the UFC, he's, he's kind of been up and down. He made his UFC debut against, actually against Tony Ferguson back in 2016. Uh, took a loss by a Darce choke to that. Still got a fight of the night. He's an exciting guy. He's had three fight of the nights and a performance of the night just in his four years in the UFC. And he's coming off a win. Again, like I said, he's been up and down through his UFC career. He's actually got two draws in his, in his time on the UFC roster. Uh, but he, he dropped a fight to Mark Dacquise. Uh, back last September, but turned around this February, a unanimous decision win against Yancey Medeiros uh, in in a good fight for him. I think I think he's a guy that can can do a lot. He's a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but he's not just a ground guy. Like I said, he's got four knockouts. Uh, I like him. He's got a wrestling background as well. Wrestled Division One for a time, uh, but dropped out of school. Uh, I like what he brings. He's an interesting fighter and. Anybody that comes in on two weeks' notice to fight Tony Ferguson in their UFC debut is freaking crazy. So I think, I think Lando Venata is a really fun guy to watch. Yeah, he is really fun. Speaking of Tony Ferguson, when Venata went up against Tony Ferguson, he gave Tony Ferguson all he could handle up until that Darce choke. This guy is no bum, and especially if you come in on a, a week or two notice against Tony Ferguson, you give him prom, you got some talent. And this dude's also trained by Greg Jackson. Greg Jackson trains the likes of Holly Holm and uh, what's John Jones. So this guy is with the best trainers. He knows what he's doing. He's Don't be surprised if he makes a little comeback for the next year or so. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Brown Belt, I don't know if you mentioned that. Creative striker and very aggressive fucking do it all. And same with Bobby Green. Bobby Green can do it all, too. He has a very diverse uh, finishing uh, background, for lack of a better term, really aggressive Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue belt. And he lives in – he can, when it comes to decision, it's kind of 50-50 for him. So what are your thoughts on Bobby Green? Bobby Green's been around the block, man. He was uh, in strike force from 2011 up through 2012, came to the UFC in 2013 and has had a lot of success, and he's had a lot of trouble in the UFC. He came in uh, all the way back at UFC 156. That feels like forever ago. Uh, but came into the UFC, uh, had a five-fight – or excuse me, a four-fight win streak to start his UFC career. And then when he started uh, to kind of get into these, into these upper-level contenders, he ran into Edson Barboza and Dustin Poirier back-to-back -back and took losses in both of those fights. That's obviously – 
neither one of those guys are any kind of slouches. So that's, that's nothing to be ashamed of. This is actually a rematch for these two guys. They fought all the way back at UFC 216, ended in a split draw uh, because Venata was deducted a, a point in the first round because of an illegal knee. But it was still a fight of the night. Uh, these are two guys that can do almost anything you ask of them in the octagon. And I think this fight's going to be uh, uh, probably uh, – if I had to predict something for fight of the night off of this main card, I think this would be it. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. These are two guys that both like to stand in and bang with each other. They like to throw their hands. So I think this is a good uh, leeway on the keys. I think for Venata, I think Bobby Green is a little more aggressive than he is. And if he can slow down the pace a little bit, I think that would work in his favor. But if Bobby Green uh, steps on the gas and doesn't let go, I think Venata's in a lot of trouble. So Venata really has to slow this down a bit. What do you think? I think that's probably accurate as well. Uh, Bobby Green certainly has a, a lot more, not a lot more volume than Lando Venata, but uh, considerably more averages uh, over a, a quarter of a strike landed per minute, significant strike landed per minute more. Honestly, these are two versatile guys. I think Venata may have a little bit of, of an advantage if he can get it to the ground, which I'm not sure he'll be able to. Bobby Green's got great takedown defense, uh, but, Venata averages better than better than a takedown per 15 minutes. He's got solid takedown accuracy, and his submission average is pretty good as well. So once he gets fights to the ground, he's got a pretty good track record there. I honestly think we may see him try to move this one down to the mat a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised too. And like you said, Lando does have a little bit of a wrestling background, so he does have the advantage against Bobby Green. And I mean, Bobby Green does have fantastic takedown offense at 75%. So it's not it's going to be tough, but Lana Venata can get him down before the fence. It'll, it might be trouble for Bobby Green. All right, predictions. For me, I think I'm going to take Bobby Green in this one. I think he'll just be a tad more aggressive than Venata. And I think his takedown offense is a little too elite for Venata, even though Venata does have a pretty decent wrestling background. What do you have to say? This is really a toss-up for me. I don't see any major advantages for either one of these guys. They've got equal reaches. Uh, Green's leg reaches one inch more. And while Green has a little bit more of an advantage with significant strikes, uh, Venata has the advantage on the ground, and Green can neutralize that with his takedown defense. So taking all of those things into mind, I think I'm going to agree with you that aggression that Bobby Green shows in the octagon, I think that gives him an advantage into this fight. And I think he takes this win. I think this is going to be a really good fight. I wouldn't be surprised to see this one go the distance. Yeah, nor would I. And like you said, it's a toss up. It's a coin flip for these two guys. They're pretty much even on every front and don't be surprised. This one, this one will go to, might go to a decision in my opinion, but Bobby Green will win based off octagon control and his aggression. All right. On to a really intriguing matchup, I think. We got Vicente Luque, a very nice prospect coming up, and Randy Brown. So what are your thoughts on Luque? I like Vicente Luque a lot. I think the, the, the silent assassin, as he is known, can do a lot of good things in this welterweight division. He's 28 years old, so he's still kind of breaking into the prime of his career. And until he ran into, into Stephen Thompson back at UFC 244, he was on a freaking heater, man. He's been in the UFC since he fought on the Ultimate Fighter uh, back in 2015. And since then, uh, he's, he's dropped two fights to Leon Edwards and Stephen Thompson. That's no, no knock at all. 
He's got two wins over Nico Price. That was a freaking bloodbath back at 249. Oh, one, of the, one of the most entertaining fights we've seen all year. But a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a purple belt in Lucha Libre Esportiva. But he's not just a grappler. He can, obviously, as we saw in that Nico Price fight, he can absolutely throw bombs. He's got 10 knockouts. I mean, this is the type of guy that if you run into him in a back alley – late at night you're not going to want to see him standing across from you and you're not going to want to piss him off because he will mess you up and he can do it in a lot of different ways yeah you make a good point like you said his lucha libre background if you guys don't know that's pretty much wrestling but it's a little more uh technical and with his he does have a i believe he does have a brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt but he can stand and bang like you said muay thai kickboxing and he has won about 50 percent 56% of his wins are by knockout or t- technical knockout. So, like you said, see this dude in the back alley, you might as well run. Even if you're going for Christopher Green dumpster dives, you got to run, man. And so I do that. It's great. Have you ever done that? I have not. Dude, it's totally worth it. Go up to Washington if you have the time. I've saved hundreds of dollars worth of donuts, man. It's worth it. Okay. It's worth it. But back to the topic at hand, Luke, Silent Assassin, pretty fitting name. He can do it all. And for Randy Brown, I mean, he's he's strong. What I've what I've seen from him from fight footage, it's strong stuff. And he Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. He's aggressive, and he has unrefined striking compared to Luke's fairly refined striking. And he can wrestle. He's strong. He will throw you if he gets a if he gets a hold of you. What are your thoughts on Randy Brown? I mean, that pretty much covers it. He's an experienced guy uh, with 15 professional fights. He does it a lot of different ways. Like you said, his fight, his striking, I should say, isn't very refined, but he'll put people down on their backsides and they won't get back up. He's, he's that kind of guy when it comes to his aggression and, and the strength that he brings into the octagon. And he's, he's fought some decent guys. He dropped a fight against Nico Price in 2018, but he's got a win over, me, excuse me, over Mickey Gall. So he's fought some, some decent fighters in the UFC and he's held his own against them. So uh, I like Randy Brown, and I like what he's going to bring into this fight. I think he'll be a good challenge for Luke. Yeah, and like you said, he beat he beat uh, Mickey Gall, who's arguably he's who's one of the best on the ground in the UFC, even though he hasn't found too much success lately, which we hope we do. If he does, of course. But Randy Brown, he's he's he can he can beat you on the feet, and if he gets you to, if you get to, if he goes to the ground, he can find a way to win. He's very very diverse. So on at the keys. For Vicente Luque, I think his best bet is to stand in and bang. I think if he just stands in, throws throws his punches, he's refined. Is going to if he if he is refined, and he's smart about what he does, he can take this fight pretty easily from Randy Brown. What are your keys for Luque? I think Luque just needs to do what he does. I think I think Randy Brown is coming going to come into this fight as an underdog. I think he's going to come in. Uh, trying to just go really hard after Luke and get him out of his element. And I think Luke just needs to, to fight his fight. Obviously we've seen him uh, mess dudes up severely going back to that Nico price fight. We've seen that Vicente Luque can, can just do it all in the octagon. I think that's why he's such a well-regarded prospect is he's not pigeonholed into one style. So for Luke, I think he just needs to to go out and fight exactly how he's planning on it. I don't think I think the key for him is going to be keep Randy Brown from uh, getting him back on his heels and making him change 
what he wants to do early. That's that's the biggest thing for me is I think Luke is going to come in as the favorite. I think he needs to fight like he's the favorite and make sure he controls the style of this fight. Yeah, and like you make a good point there. And with for Randy Brown, he he if he finds a way to control this fight, I think he's a very good chance to win because he he has a a superior reach advantage, and he can he can wrestle a little bit. And if I think his best bet is to get this to the ground because if Vicente Luque, if you let him, if you if you stop thinking for a minute, you get hit in the chin, you're toast with Vicente Luque. He's he's a very powerful striker. So, and I think go ground and slow the pace. What do you think? That's exactly it for Randy Brown. He needs to slow Vicente Luque down and still be aggressive, still still keep Luque moving back, in my opinion, but slow the fight down, grind it out, maybe even get this one up against the fence, get him down to the ground if you can. But I think Randy Brown's going to kind of be fighting uphill in this one. I, I like uh, Vicente Luque as a big favorite in this one, but I think I don't want to count Randy Brown out at all. If he can fight this the way that he wants to, if he control the if he can control the pace of this one and keep Luke A from just you know flying out and taking control early, I think Randy Brown's got a chance. Yeah, I mean, don't count Randy Brown out. He's a, he's a physical freak in this division, six three, pretty pretty tall for this division. Anyway, predictions. I'm taking Luke A by knockout. What do you have? Same here. All right, on to a really weird weird event. Joanne Calderwood versus Jennifer Maya. Joanne Calderwood's supposed to be fighting Valentina Shevchenko in the coming months when it comes because she's she was going to fight for the title, but for some reason she decided to take a little tune-up fight, I guess, or something. But Jennifer Maya's no slouch. What are your thoughts on Joanne Calderwood taking this fight? I don't like it. I mean, you're already in the title picture. You've already got a title shot coming up. At least that's what's expected. And. I just don't get it. Like, I get that Valentina Shevchenko pulled out with an injury. I get that the title fight that was supposed to happen at 251 didn't happen. But if you're the you're by if you're considered the number one contender to the to the to the UFC Women's Flyweight Championship, why are you taking a fight against another decent contender right now? I mean, Jennifer Maya is is the type of fighter that could come out and beat Joanne Calderwood and honestly steal that title shot. She's that well regarded. So. I just don't get it. I don't get why Joanne Calder would t- would take this fight one on short notice and two with with a title fight against Valentina Shevchenko seemingly waiting on the docket for her. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And like we said, Jennifer Myers no slash. She's very well rounded, and this this division is so, fairly stacked when it comes to the top five, top six. And if Joanne Calder would lose this fight, you could see Cynthia Calvillo slide in there. Heck, Jennifer Maya would probably be the next yeah. contender. So I guess I guess we'll talk about the fight now. We'll we'll stop dragging Calderwood's name through the through the dirt. So what do you have for, on Joanne Calderwood? Uh, definitely, definitely a striker. Muay Thai kickboxing background. Uh, she she fought 21 times professionally as a kickboxer, went 19 and two. But she's also got a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. She can use that. She she can handle herself well on the on the ground, but she's going to try to keep this fight on the feet. Uh, that's where she thrives. Five knockout wins, eight by decision. Uh, she's she's a striker striker, if if that makes sense. Uh, that Muay Thai background is as good as any woman in the UFC, in my opinion, and she uses it to the best of her abilities. You know, I'm not even going to add anything to that. I'm just going to head right over to Maya because you summed it up perfectly. And for Maya, she's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Muay Thai boxing. She can do it all. Literally, she can do it all. And 
But she does like the decision from what I saw yesterday. Uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm right. 53% of everyone's have come by decision. But 24% have come by knockout and another 24% have come by submission. So she's very diverse in what she can do. And what are your keys for Jennifer Maya? Uh, for Jennifer Maya, I think, I think this is what makes the least amount of sense to me uh, for Joanne Calder with taking this fight is because, like you said, Jennifer Maya can do it all. She's one of the most well-rounded women in this division. I, I don't understand the logic behind not only taking a fight like this on short notice while you've got a title fight lined up, especially against somebody that's going to be so hard to prepare for as Jennifer Maya. Uh, that's, that's a little bit of an aside there, but I think Maya has the, the background in, in wrestling, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, to where her advantage is going to be taking this fight to the ground. Obviously, she's, she can handle it on the feet. She knows what she's doing there. But with, with what Calderwood has in that kickboxing repertoire, she's going to have a major advantage there. I think if Maya takes this fight to the ground, we could find Julian Calderwood having some serious problems. Yeah, and I, like you said, I think Jennifer Maya slow the fight down a little bit and just take it to the ground and work Jerry on Calderwood. Be patient. If you if you maintain ground control for a, a majority of the fight, you'll win this fight without taking much damage. And heck, if you find that submission, it's beautiful. Now on to Calderwood's keys. My keys for her is don't fight. I say just drop out while you can. Maintain that title shot. I mean, that's really all I got. And if if you decide to fight this weekend, Joe, and just keep it standing, use your Use your slight reach advantages in the leg and the in the arms. What do you have? I, I think Joanne Calderwood has to dominate this fight on the feet. I think, I think obviously she's got the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu background and the training to be able to to roll with Jennifer Maya a little bit. But again, Calderwood's taking this on short notice, and Jennifer Maya is so hard to prepare for because she's so well-rounded. Like you said, I don't understand why this fight is happening. I don't understand why Joanne Calderwood is stepping in and taking this fight. Obviously, it would be a statement win for her and solidify her as the number one contender uh, to, to Valentina Shevchenko's championship, but she was already in that position. I just don't get it. Uh, but as, as far as the keys for her winning go, yeah, keep it on the feet. Use your kickboxing. That's your calling card. That's why you're the number one – well, she's not the number one contender in the division, but that's why you were up for a title fight against Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah, exactly. She's the, only, she's the only one with the striking, I, I believe, strong enough in this division to go up against Valentina Shevchenko. Yes, I don't think anybody's on the level of Valentina Shevchenko at all in this division. She's just he, heads, and heel, head, heads and heels above everybody else. And Joanne Calderwood, I don't get this decision. It's just, think about it. Even if she wins, Jennifer Miles might break her in some fashion. She's going to take damage. Why, and, would you, why would you risk an injury? Yeah, why? That. Unless you come out like Jorge Masvidal and knee Maya in the head right away, there's no reason to take this fight. All right, no. predictions. I think this is going to come uh, and bite Joanne Calderwood in the butt. Maya's taking this by submission. What do you think? I think Joanne Calderwood's going to win, but I wouldn't be surprised if she loses. It, it, again, it makes no fight, no reason for her to take this fight. Uh, I think she wins, but honestly, honestly, I don't care because this is a stupid decision. I, I'm sorry. I don't care who wins this fight because I like what Joanne Calderwood does in the octagon, and I want to see her fight Valentina Shevchenko for the UFC women's – what? why am I blanking on what division this is? Flyweight. The women's flyweight division, 
I, I want to see Joanne Calderwood fight for the title, and I don't want to see her get hurt against Jennifer Maya. I don't want to see her lose against Jennifer Maya, and I don't want this fight to happen. I don't care who wins, but I'm going to pick Joanne Calderwood. You know, I, I honestly don't care about this fight. Like, no! This is like, there's no reason for this fight to happen. That's why I literally don't care about this fight. But I'm going to watch it anyway. I mean, I'd yeah, like to see Joanne Calderwood. It should Calderwood. be a good fight. Yeah, it should be a good fight. But it's not, it's nothing I'd want to see from Jennifer, uh, from Joanne Calderwood when it comes to this fight. JoJo's doing a no-no here, and I think she's going she's gonna to take it and I think she'll get punished for doing this. All right. Under Brunson versus Shabazian. I cut it for you there, Daniel. I got you, man. Anyway, okay. so what are your thoughts on Derek Brunson? I like Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson does a lot of good things, especially on the ground. He was a three-time Division II All-American wrestler at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. Uh, he basically turned to MMA immediately after that. He's got a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, trained by Henzo Gracie. So this is a guy with the kind of pedigree when the fight goes to the ground that he can, he can seriously go when it goes to the ground. And he's fought everybody there is to fight in the UFC middleweight division, past, present, and future. Uh, his most recent fight was back in August uh, of last year against Ian Heinish. Uh, he's fought Israel Adesanya. He's fought Ronaldo Souza. He beat Leota Machida. He beat Dan Kelly. Uh, he lost to Anderson Silva, lost to Robert Whitaker. But you keep going down the list. He's he's fought Uriah Hall. He's fought he's fought the the official mascot of the Throwing Hands podcast, Yoel Romero. This guy's fought everybody there is to fight in this division, and he's beat a few of them, and he's done it soundly. So this is a guy that has an outstanding grappling background. His striking has come along as well, and he's one of one of the most I, I would say the most battle tested fighters in this division. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. And he can do it all. And the scary part about Derek Brunson is he has knockout power in one punch. If you if you if you lose your guard and you get hit in the chin, you're going to the ground and he will finish you on the ground. He'll oh, fun fact, only fifteen percent of his wins have come by submission, but he's knocked out fifty-five percent of his opponents when he wins. So this dude's a problem and he finishes it quick. Just inside two rounds, six minutes, thirty-two seconds, he finishes the fight on average. So he's a problem. And yes, he's out. He's a little bit out of his prime right now. But Evan Shabazi should not take this fight lightly. And on to Shabazi, man, this dude is legit. Ten first round finishes, I believe, and he's refined striker. He has fantastic head movement, and his head movement's above anybody else's in this division, I think, except Darren Till and Warby Whitaker. He's he's right up there with the best of them when it comes to this. And he's a very bright young prospect. What do you have to say on Shabazi? I love what Shabazi brings to the table. Uh, nine of his 11 uh, wins have come by knockout, like you said. Uh, Ten of the 11, every fight he's finished has been in the first round. Uh, and he showed back July of last year, a little bit over a year ago now, against Jack Marshman that he can get it done on the ground. Won that fight with a rear naked choke. And, I mean, he's 11-0 as a professional. He's 4-0 and well, Four and zero in the UFC plus a win on Dana White's Contender Series, so bump that up to five and zero fighting at the highest level uh, in the world. This is this is a really talented prospect. He's only twenty two years old. This is a young guy with a ton of fire, and he's got a massive background in a lot of different things. He's been with his current gym, the Glendale Fighting Club, since he was twelve. He was a training partner for Ronda Rousey as a teenager. This guy 
has an outstanding background in mixed martial arts. He can do it. He can do it pretty much any way you want him to. And he's been so impressive early on. I really like him. I think he's got an immensely bright future. He's a top 10 contender at the age of 22. How many guys can you say that about? Not many at all. And he's, he's young. He's, he's appeared to us. He's barely even older than we are. Yeah. And I think he has a very, very promising future. And if he gets a big win against Derek Brunson like this, he might be hmm, third in line for the title if he keeps it up. A win over Derek Brunson. This is, this is a star-making fight for Edmund Shabazzian if he can pull this off. Yeah, and third in line for the title if he takes this. And I think he will take it. And on to Keys, we're going to get our predictions a bit later. I think for Derek Brunson, is he should get this to the ground. I think even though Edmund Shabazzian is young, he is so refined on the feet that he would give Derek Brunson a problem on the feet. And I think Derek Brunson should use his D2 wrestling All-American background, get him to the ground, and just pound it out down there. What do you have to say for Brunson? I think Brunson's best bet is to go to the ground, like you said, uh, that grappling background, college wrestling, brown belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, it's, it's been something he hasn't used a ton to finish fights, but it's definitely uh, something that's a big part of his game. And I think he can use it efficiently against Shabazian. Shabazian, uh, like I said, is a big knockout power guy, but I think he's a little more well-rounded than, than people give him credit for. But Brunson's best bet is definitely taking this fight to the ground. I think that's honestly the only place he might have an advantage in this one against Shabazian. Uh, so uh, Derek Brunson, a dangerous guy in the stand-up and on the ground, uh, but I think, I think getting this down to the mat's going to be biggest for him, like you said. All right, so what are your keys for Edmund Shabazian? Uh, Shabazian, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be an advantage for him on the feet. I think that's where he needs to stay. And I think he just needs to be aggressive against Derek Brunson. He's coming in with a three inch disadvantage in the reach, 77 inches for Brunson, 74 for Shabazian. So he's going to have to get into the pocket. And I don't think he's going to have a problem with that. He's a guy with a pretty good chin. And I think he's going to have to get into the pocket against Derek Brunson without getting taken down. That's going to be a big thing for me. And he's got good takedown defense, 75% takedown defense uh, in the UFC. And, and he can take guys down on his own. He's, he's got good efficiency when it comes to going to the ground. But I think he's going to have to uh, get in tight against Derek Brunson, get in the pocket, and, and use that power again. If he can score a takedown and keep top control, I think that'll be big. But Derek Brunson, the guy that is very, very hard to get to the ground. So Shabazzian, I think if he can turn this fight into something where they're fighting in a phone booth, that's going to be the biggest thing for him. Uh, cut down on that re disadvantage he's got in reach. All right, on to predictions. I agree with everything you said there, Daniel. This is, this is ending in the first round with one of these dudes getting knocked out, and I think Bruns will be the dude getting knocked out because he's just older than Shabazi and he has less chin left in him. What do you say? Yeah, I'm taking Edmund Shabazi, and I think he, he gets the knockout here. I, like I said, I think this can be a star-making performance for him. Obviously, uh, the UFC middleweight division is outstanding right now. We just saw uh, Whitaker and Till have a great fight uh, up towards the top of these rankings, but it's 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 interesting because Shabazian is such a hot prospect. I can see the UFC pushing him quickly. I can see honestly a win here has him knocking on the door of the top five uh, with with Kelvin. I think Kelvin Gaslin could probably take a step back in the rankings. He would obviously jump Derek Brunson. Uh, Shabazian, I think is going to have to wait around a little bit to be considered a true title contender here just because the top of this middleweight division is so deep. 
as we've talked about before, we talked last time. I mean, Whitaker, Costa, Cannoneer, Romero, Till, that's your top five, plus Jack Hermanson. Uh, I think this can be a star-making performance for Edmund Shabazi, and I think it can kind of turn him into that boogeyman lurking in the current in the cor- excuse me that lurking in the corner uh, for whoever the UFC middleweight champion is when this title picture gets shaken out a little bit more. All right, well, we have got our predictions. All right, so some rumors have been you know flowing around lately. All right, Khabib versus GSP in April. You ship it? I mean, I'll take it. Yeah. I I would think that, I mean, this happens, <laughs> but I'd like to see it. Yeah, I'd like to see it too. I mean, the scary part about GSP is I wouldn't be surprised if he's he's even better. Just like against Bisping. Yes, he's 40 pretty much, but it's a scary sight. All right. You have anything more to add? Any more news that you want to say, talk about? Uh, I want to talk about Tony Ferguson a little bit. We mentioned him earlier as somebody that, that Panada's fought, uh, but he said he's open to fighting either Conor McGregor or Dustin Poirier uh, to get a shot at the Khabib uh, Gaethje winner. I wanted to get your thoughts on that, obviously. Tony Ferguson kind of got beat up by Justin Gaethje in an unexpected way, uh, but he's obviously one of the best fighters on the planet. What do you think about him uh, kind of with a call out there for either Connor or Dustin Poirier? No, here's the thing for me. Connor is retired, but not retired at the same time. So, I mean, if, I don't, know if, you, if, I don't know if you've uh, <laughs> seen pictures of Connor lately, but he has a little bit of a dad bod. So I don't think he'd be prepared for that. The fight I'd like to see is Poirier versus Ferguson. I think that'd just be fun to watch. Two two guys who do it on the ground and the feet. But if we just want to see another Gaethje-esque fight, I think Conor McGregor versus Ferguson would be the one you want to see. So I, I'd be open to anything. But I think if the UFC wants to have a moneymaker pay-per-view event, it's Ferguson versus uh, McGregor. So that's my thoughts on it. All right. And then then one more, one more little note I wanted to bring up. This was something – uh, that that we saw getting kind of thrown around uh, the that some guys in ESPN were talking about as kind of a rumor, but as the week's gone along, it's kind of gotten a little bit more steam. Cody Garbrandt at 125. What do you think about that? I want to see it. I, I do want to see it. I genuinely want to see that fight. I mean, Davis and Figueredo is good, but Garbrandt's a little bigger, a little stronger. And Garbrandt already won the belt. He has that championship pedigree in him. So I'd love to see that fight. That's something I'd want to see. What do you think? I want to see it, but I'm just I'm just scared for the flyweight division, man. I'm just yeah. scared for it. Yeah, I if Cody Garbrandt comes in. I want 125 to survive as a division in the UFC. And we've seen Henry Cejudo go down there and dominate and win the title. And then that's what put us in the situation with Benavidez and Figueredo basically doing the hokey pokey for months to try to get a champion in this division. So if Cody Garbrandt's going to go and stay and defend that title at 125, then I'm all for it. I love Cody Garbrandt. I want to see him fight Davis and Figueredo. But if it's going to be a Cejudo type situation where he goes down and fights for that title and wins it, and is more focused on 135 and trying to get back in the bantamweight title picture than he is defending the the flyweight title, then I don't want to see it happen because I want to see these flyweights get their chance, man. Yeah. 
I agree with you there. All right, one one more little thing. You see uh, Hamzat Shemaev uh, calling out Conor McGregor here and there. I think yes. that would bode not very well for Hamzat Shemaev. I think Conor McGregor would be like, well, I don't think that your, your path isn't going that direction, buddy. If you really want the fight, I'll bring it to you. And then he's just going to clip him and knock him out. I think that's what would happen in that fight. What do you think? I love Hamzat Shemaev, but he is not in any position to be calling out Conor McGregor, honestly. Like, is, is Shemaev honestly one of, one of the best kind of, I would say, future projection fighters that there is right now? Obviously, he's been so dominant in two fights. But also, he's had two UFC fights. Obviously, there's, there's a little bit of history with him and Connor with, with everything that's gone on with Connor and Khabib. Shemaev's kind of been a, a background player in that a little bit, I guess you could say. But no, no. Shemayev does not want this right now. He doesn't and, and want it. And if he does, it's misguided. You know, I bet you – I wouldn't even be surprised if Conor McGregor took this fight to just say, you're not ready. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'd like to see it, uh, Hamzat Shemayev get humbled a little bit. I wouldn't mind seeing that. But I will say the memes he's posting are pretty funny with Conor yeah. running in front of the car and Shemayev just waving to him. I, I thought they're – he does have a sense of humor to him. I like him, but he's not ready yeah. for Conor McGregor not yet. Not at all. All right. Is there anything else you want to add? I'm just just one little one little note that makes me kind of sad. Darren Till tore his MCL, so we're not going to see him for a little while. I know he's going to be in a cast for six weeks. I saw. Yeah, uh, I know. All ligament right. ligament injuries to the knees are never fun. I can tell you that from experience. He knows, guys. He knows. All right. Well, that'll do it for us right now. I'll, I don't know what, which episode we'll see you in, but we have a couple of interviews coming out. So see you guys. It's exciting stuff coming up.